0: I'm Kate Daniels. Disaster Preparedness. As our guest will share with us, it's not a matter of if, but when. We can think of even just the last few weeks and all the havoc with the snow and the ice. But even this last weekend, we had reports of a possible tsunami hitting our west coast. Nature doesn't check in on our schedule, nature happens and we need to be prepared. And thus, Creek Stewart, world-renowned for his survival skills trainings, is here to share some insights and to help provide greater support. He has a new book, The Disaster-Ready Home. So let's meet Creek and get prepared. Creek Stewart, good morning and thank you so greatly for being with us today.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's it's an honour and I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Well, this is really a gift to us. Maybe it's a conversation we should have had previously, but at least we're having it now. And uh, this is going to help us to really get on track if we uh, haven't really done so in terms of getting ready for a disaster. Because uh, disaster might be a little d, it doesn't have to be a big d kind of thing to really make an impact in our life.
1: Absolutely. And the types of disasters that that I like to discuss are those that happen on a regular basis, the real disasters that happen to real people. and, and, um, And it seems like there's a new disaster each and every week in the headlines. So I think I think everyone is thinking about um, things they can do to be a little prepared. So I'm really looking forward to, t- to talking about this with you.
0: And so as we get started to talking about that, we want to make sure that people know this is all around a new book that uh, – as you get, here, are these ideas that you're going to be sharing with us, Creek, uh, that there's this wonderful book, The Disaster Ready Home, a step-by-step emergency preparedness manual for sheltering in place. So the, all the details we need are there, but just to have us already pre-thinking this and knowing what we need to do, uh, I'm so glad that we're going to touch on some of this now.
1: Oh, me too. and we'll give we'll give a really nice bird's eye view of some of some really key things that uh, we need to be thinking about.
0: Right, because as you say, in the news, every day in some part of the country, uh, and it happens repeatedly, I mean, just recently having a big fire in Colorado, I was st- stunned that such a thing could happen in the middle of winter. Were you or w- does your preparedness uh, training? Make you think that oh well you know that that is definitely possible. It happens. Well,
1: you know these days, I disasters have 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 stopped surprising me. I think I have, you know, over the past few years we've seen so many surprises in so many different places. I I think that I'm just about prepared for anything um, mentally these days. Uh, but it sure was sad to see um, what's happening in Colorado. They. They, it hasn't been that long ago that they dealt with wildfires again. And here, here it is, here it is happening again. Uh, yes. But uh, just, it just drives home the point that these things can happen to anyone at any given moment and they don't discriminate. And the best we can do is, is try our best to prepare in, in advance before they happen.
0: Exactly. So one of the things, and, and I want to get into some details because you're ready to do that, but I was thinking as I was, you know, thumbing through and looking at some of the areas, one of the, the key things I think we need to do is our important documents or some important papers, and how do we have them at the ready so that we're not scrambling around?
1: It's a fantastic question that very few people think about. So there's two concerns with important documents. There is the notion of your house being destroyed and your documents being destroyed with your house, like in the case of wildfires in Colorado. That's a very real possibility. And then there's the case of having to evacuate your home and leave your important documents there. And so um, in the case of um, having your important documents stored at home, the, the best solution that I recommend to everyone for that is to pick up a fireproof safe. They are not that expensive. You can buy a really nice, um, pretty much an eight and a half by 11 size fireproof safe that fits all of your important documents like your birth certificate, your marriage license, your insurance paperwork, your will, your titles to your vehicles, and all of those things that are so important in putting your life back together. All the passwords to all of your accounts, things like that. Uh, and so just storing those in a fireproof safe is, is going to go a long way in protecting those documents at home. But I always like to take that one step further and make a digital copy of all of those documents on a thumb drive, scan them in, put them on a thumb drive, and put that thumb drive in an emergency kit called, that we typically call a bug-out bag where you're going to grab if you ever had to evacuate your home. That way you've got a digital copy of all of those important documents for reference if they're not there when you get back.
0: Perfect. Yes, and that will be with us if we have to leave, as you said, You know, just on the spur of a, a moment. And it's right there, and you could ins- start insurance claims and that sort of thing very quickly right. because you have that Right.
1: Perfect. Absolutely. And and you may be displaced for a certain period of time. Oftentimes in ground zero of disasters, you can't get back home uh, for some reason or another. And if you have a digital copy of those records, you can start doing some things, taking some action uh, remotely.
0: Right. So then that takes away uh a level of stress, hopefully. I mean, this is a huge stress, but to take away something we can control in that situation should give us uh, some peace of mind in this.
1: Absolutely. And that's really our goal with every single preparedness step that we take is to, is to mitigate as best as we can um, a worst case scenario and just try to do our absolute best uh, to to weather the storm, I guess is the best way to say it, um, and get back to normal as soon as possible.
0: Because that is sadly, but th- It is our current reality, just the way we Mm -hmm. see. As you say, we can't hear the news any day without hearing about a disaster happening. Just just these intense weather situations are disasters. People have been displaced by floods here in our area, but various parts of the country. That's happening too frequently.
1: Well, FEMA started recording large-scale natural disasters in 1953, and it is a statistical fact that large-scale disasters are more frequent and larger than ever before since, since FEMA started recording them uh, many years ago. And so the fact that we're seeing more doesn't just feel like we're seeing more. We are seeing more, and they are bigger. And uh, this, this topic of preparedness, this is a topic that has become mainstream. You know, maybe years ago it was discussed behind closed doors um, amongst preppers, I guess is the best word for it. Uh, but these days, especially, especially after the last couple of years with the pandemic, uh, this is this is a topic that the average person is thinking about and trying to figure out how to get started.
0: So there is there's a, a what a, a silver lining in this pandemic that it has gotten us thinking about it because out of necessity. So. Yeah, but we still have an opportunity to start getting things together if we haven't done so already.
1: It's never too late. The only time that it becomes too late is if a disaster strikes and you haven't done anything at all, which unfortunately is where the majority of people start thinking about being prepared. Is In the midst of a large-scale disaster, you've seen it, they rush to the grocery store or the hardware store to get supplies at the same time that everyone else is doing that. And so my call to action in this phone call today in this interview today is just to encourage anyone listening to uh, take some baby steps in advance of when you might actually need them.
0: So, yes, and I think that's a great way to start. Just start with something very basic, and I think we can get, um, I'm going to use the word addicted to it, realizing like, oh, this is so good. It makes me feel so much better. We'll do one more the next step, good thing, and and keep on going.
1: And that's my philosophy completely is um, I'm I'm only going to discuss um, preparedness ideas and preparedness strategies that are easy to implement, easy on the budget, and very simple for the average person. Uh, I found out a long time ago that The more complicated and the more expensive it is, the less likely someone is actually going to implement it. And so everything we're going to discuss today are very actionable steps if you've never done anything before. And I promise I'm going to make it really, really simple, and it's going to move the needle. Each one of these steps is going to move the needle in your preparedness efforts in a big way.
0: Great. So we talked about, you know, getting those papers in order. Now, we've got that together. Right. What's our next important step?
1: Well, most people think about food first, okay? That's that's the rabbit hole that most people start thinking about when they start thinking about getting prepared. I need a a long-term food storage pantry, a buffer of food, and I would agree with that. So let's start with food, and I'm going to quickly outline a really simple strategy for putting away a buffer of food storage just in case something would happen where you couldn't get to the grocery store or you know you just don't have access to your normal supply of food or the food chains are interrupted so the the best strategy is to make a list of your top 10 or 20 shelf stable foods that you and your family eat all the time and by shelf stable i mean those foods that have a shelf life of one to three years it's typically the foods that you buy from the inner aisles of the grocery store, They're like canned goods, pastas, um, dry box cereals, and things like that. Almost every one of those items has a shelf life of one to three years. You're going to make a list of 10 to 20 of those items that you eat most often. And every time you go to the grocery store, you're going to buy just a couple more of those items than what you need. And you're going to put those in what we call a long-term food storage pantry. It might be a closet. It might be on a shelf in the corner of the basement, somewhere where they're a little bit out of the way. And over the course of several trips to the grocery store, you are going to begin to build a buffer of the most common foods that you eat. The biggest mistake that people make is they buy foods that they don't eat because they're on sale. And what happens is they're going to sit on that shelf or in that closet forever until they expire because they're not foods that you eat on a regular basis. I'm a huge proponent of storing what you eat and eating what you store. And so as you run out of food in your kitchen pantry, your long-term food storage pantry just becomes an extension of that pantry, and you're constantly rotating through that food, making sure that it doesn't expire And still, each time at the grocery store, buying a little bit more. That is the best, most achievable, and easiest strategy to putting together several weeks or even several months worth of food that will sustain you and your family.
0: Which makes so much sense. Sometimes... In times of crisis, you might see these flyers saying, oh, you know, here's this big box of packaging, a big carton of, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, survival foods. But it's not necessarily what you like to eat.
1: That's right. Uh, Freeze-dried foods are really common survival foods for a set-it-and-forget-it scenario. And there's nothing wrong with those. If you wanted to invest in some freeze-dried foods, Go, go for it. Um, they're a fantastic survival food that'll, that'll last for 30 plus years. Uh, you can put them down in your basement or in a closet or in your bedroom, and you don't have to worry about it. They're not going to go bad. They're a great survival food, but they're very expensive. And so for someone just starting out who might be on a budget and who might be overwhelmed by the idea of buying these buckets of survival food, start much Simpler. Start much more practical with the foods that you already eat. It's, it's just such a more sensible and practical way to build out a buffer uh, of food. And none of that food is going to go bad as long as you've listed 10 to 20 of the items that you already eat all the time.
0: Right. I like it. I, it's just such common sense. That it's, yeah. That's Great Creek. So we've got our food ideas in place. Next, what do we need to focus on?
1: Well, quickly, after food, we need to start thinking about water. Water is a critical survival priority. And here's a statistic that's going to blow your mind. The average American uses more than 80 gallons of water per day. Wow. That is with eating and drinking and washing your hands, uh, bathing, showering, any, anything that you use water, water for, uh, the average American uses more than 80 gallons a day. So that's a staggering amount of water. And the idea of even storing that much water if your tap would run dry is impossible to wrap your head around. And unfortunately, there are so many disasters that disrupt the water supply whether the water supply is tainted or polluted um, because of flooding or some um, some other issue, or whether an earthquake breaks the water pipes and the water just flat out stops running, or a drought, or limited water supplies, there's all types of different scenarios that lead to a lack of water or an interruption of water. And so when it comes to water, we want to think about three things, and they're very, very simple, okay? The first step is you want to stow away some water storage, okay? You want to think about two gallons of water per person per day. And you want to put away enough water to get you through one to two weeks. You can just go buy bottled water at the grocery store. You can go buy uh, jug water by the, by the one gallon or the five-gallon jug. And those are really easy uh, water containers to store in a closet or downstairs and a couple of weeks isn't that much water. You're looking at, you know, 50 gallons of water-ish, depending on how big your family is. That water is going to last for up to five years. So you don't have to worry about it going bad. Um, it's, you're going to be able to crack that water open years from now and and go ahead and drink it without doing anything to it. So it's a great, it's a great option for some immediate water. The second thing with water is you want a water filter. Okay, So that if you run out of that water and there's still no water available, or if the water that's available is tainted uh, with bacteria or something like that, you want to be able to run that water through a filter. The filter I recommend is called a Big Berkey. Uh, It's going to cost you about $150, but you can pour almost any type of water into that filter. It's gravity fed. It doesn't require electricity. Pour it in the top. It's going to come out the bottom. Ready to drink. It's going to filter out bacteria, protozoan cysts, chlorine, plastics, and a whole laundry list of other things that you could be concerned about. Everyone needs a water filter. It's really easy. Just pick one up, budget it into your budget, and pick one up. It could save your life one day. And the third thing about water that we want to think about is a renewable source of drinking water. So we've run out of our our, our water storage and we have a water filter but how do we get more water well that could be a creek or a pond that is nearby your house i always recommend if it's allowed in your area to install a rain barrel if you have a rain barrel hooked up to your gutter you pretty much depending on where you live have an infinite supply of water for drinking cooking and hygiene Uh, you could pour that water through your filter and it's ready to drink right out of the barrel, no matter what's on your roof. The kit I recommend for that is called an Earth-Minded Rain Barrel Converter Kit, and you can pick that up on Amazon for about $40.
0: Wow. Wow. All really simple, something we need to do, but it does seem very straightforward, Creek,
1: It is, and that has been my whole goal with this book is – you know, the information has to make sense, it has to be easy, it has to be affordable, and it just can't be overwhelming. And, you know, a, a Boy Scout leader of mine a long time ago had this phrase. He always said when it came to camping and going outside, he always says, keep it simple, stupid. That's <laughs> what he would always say to us is keep it simple, stupid, kiss. Yes. And that's, that's the same motto that I follow with so many of these preparedness uh, preparedness uh, tips and tricks.
0: Because there's more likelihood we're going to do it when it is kept simple.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I say in the beginning of the book, these these strategies are not about going off grid or moving to the mountains or homesteading or doing all of those things that seem so unlikely and, and difficult and overwhelming. They are so, so, so much easier. And if you do them, they can absolutely save your life.
0: Perfect. So then we're thinking about warmth and cooking. Uh, When we had power outage that lasted for days, we were so thankful to have a gas stove. But, But what if it's just all electric? What are you suggesting we do?
1: Great, great question. So over almost 90% of homes in America are grid-tied heat, um, either electric or gas. And even gas is susceptible to outages during uh, certain natural disasters, especially earthquakes. And so even a gas um, furnace, uh, you should think about a form of backup heat. And what I recommend for that is a very simple kerosene space heater. Kerosene is a fuel that will last for many, many, many years. It does not go bad. And so you can buy many, several gallons of kerosene. You can put them in your shed or in your garage or in your basement. And that fuel, you don't have to worry about wasting your money on fuel. It's going it's to be good for a long time. It will probably outlive you. And um, a kerosene space heater is safe for indoor use. It's a great heater for uh, spaces up to a 1,000 feet, really. It can keep your pipes from freezing and keep you warm. And those are only about $150 at your local big box store. But if you wait until the electric's out in cold weather and go to a big box store to get one, they will be gone. I promise you. Uh, My grandparents heated their home my entire life with two kerosene space heaters. They had a big uh, tank of kerosene out back which isn't necessary uh, but it is a fantastic easy to implement, easy to buy and easy to use and safe backup heating solution.
0: Wow, that is that is a great thing to do. Keep us warm and and then I, I noticed in the book you talked about a brick stove.
1: Yeah So when it comes to cooking, um, we're in the same situation as heat. Most people have grid-tied um, ranges or microwaves or however they cook their food. It's typically grid-tied. And so having an option as a, for, a, for a backup cooking to boil water or reconstitute food or heat food for a short period of time is a really good idea. Uh, the solution for that is called a, just a little rocket stove. Okay, You can buy a rocket stove, um, the one I recommend is called the EcoZoom Rocket Stove. I have no affiliation with that company. It's just a fantastic little stove. You can pick it up on Amazon for about 120 bucks. It operates on sticks and twigs that you just find in your backyard. You don't need to have split lumber or wood delivery or a chainsaw or a splitter, okay? <laughs> Just little tiny sticks and twigs that you can gather from a local green space or park or, um, or wood that is washed up on shore of a river or something like that. It doesn't have to be fancy. So the EcoZoom rocket stove is the one I recommend if you want to buy one. But in the book, I walk you through making a 25-brick rocket stove, which is essentially the same thing made from 25 bricks. Um, it costs you just a few dollars and about 30 minutes of time. Uh, But once you go through the steps, you're going to have a fantastic backyard rocket stove that burns on sticks and twigs that can eat your water, boil your water, and cook your food, um, as long as you've got metal pots and pans, better than any range or or oven in your kitchen.
0: That is fabulous. And as you're describing making this, as as well as thinking of just the water filter and doing the shopping, I'm imagining... If you're a family, when you have younger kids, uh, a range of ages, engaging in this together and making it happen, what a great adventure, but something that they will no doubt have uh, an opportunity to see put into action.
1: Oh, you're so right. If you have children, you know, these, these types of things can literally be a weekend adventure. Uh, we as a family, I have two small kids, uh, three years and six years old. And we always do live drills. We'll do a weekend of cooking on the rocket stove or we'll do a weekend without electricity or um, a weekend of eating long-term food storage products. And it's always an adventure for them. And it takes all of the fear away from the idea of implementing some of these systems if you ever had to do it. If they're already familiar with these things and they've been there and done that in practice drills – um, it can really make a transition in a disaster scenario, which might happen, a whole lot mentally easier on small kids.
0: That is so fabulous. To introduce it when things are, quote, normal, then it just uh, this is just the way we live our life.
1: Yeah, Perfect. absolutely. And, you know, you can take the approach to preparedness where um, it feels like a lifestyle, uh, but you don't have to do that either. If the idea of being prepared seems a little foreign to you, but you realize the, you know, that you want to have some, some preps in place, you don't have to have a bunker in your basement, you know, and it doesn't have to feel like you've changed your life in order to implement a few of these things. You can just buy some of the things that I recommend, tuck them away in a closet just in case something might happen. And, and it can be as simple as that. So much of what I recommend and what I suggest are set-it-and-forget-it type items for a rainy day.
0: Which is, yes, great. That's definitely kind of what we're approaching here. One other item that I think is really critical, should we be in a situation where we don't have our water supply so uh, we can't use our regular bathroom facilities, we can't flush the toilet, Mm -hmm. what do we do?
1: Yeah, another really important question that hardly anyone thinks about um, while preparing for a disaster. So many disasters um, either break sewage pipes or prevent water from running um, in some way shape or form prevent us from our toilets from functioning properly and so a solution to use the bathroom both number one and number two at home without a working toilet is a really smart idea the inability to contain and store human waste can lead to really, really serious hygiene problems in a disaster scenario and does very, very often in large scale disasters. And so my easy solution for this is a composting toilet that you can implement for about $20 and about 30 minutes of time. You're going to start with a plastic five gallon bucket from your local hardware store. Then you're going to order a snap-on toilet seat lid that fits a five-gallon bucket. It's about $15 on Amazon. And then you're going to go to your local hardware store or your local um, lumber yard, and you're going to ask them for their leftover sawdust, which they will give you for free. You'll put about an inch of sawdust in the bottom of your bucket, and you'll go number one and number two right on top, and then you'll cover those up with another layer of sawdust. You'll continue to do that until the bucket's full. When the bucket's full, you put a lid on the bucket, slide it over into the corner of the garage or the shed or the backyard. In a couple of months, that's going to be composted humanure that you can dump out in the corner of the yard, put around a tree uh, or in the woods um, nearby where you live, and it's going to be a safe a safe medium to expose of. So it's the perfect solution for using the bathroom. In fact, you may even ask yourself, why in the world did I ever put flush toilets in my bathroom?
0: <laughs> well, well, I was just thinking how the composting idea, we we go to the store to buy all this composting material uh to, you know, feed our earth, but look how we could do this uh without any cost really except for the cost yeah. of creating it.
1: <laughs> that's that's, that's right. That's right. So you know, I, I'm often asked, can, can I put the compost from a composting toilet like in a vegetable garden or a raised bed? And I never recommend that, okay? So we don't want to mix that compost with um, like a raised bed or a patio pot or something like that because you could get some cross-contamination there if it's not completely composted. So I always recommend the corner of a yard, the back corner of a yard, if you needed to, if you needed to dump that bucket um, before it might be ready.
0: Right, for sure. Well, I think you have helped us to be ready for any kind of disaster, really, that comes along, as ready as is possible. But really, to the big thing is to have some peace of mind that we could uh, really deal with almost anything that, that strikes. So, you are just so amazing, Creek Stewart. I really appreciate all of your information, your knowledge, and the fact that you've experienced this. So you're a, a, a great source of wisdom to us.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. I hope that something I've shared makes a difference in someone's life. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you today.
0: Well, I am grateful. I think we all are. So many thanks, and let's look forward to uh, a prepared 2022.
1: Amen.